welcome everyone to another episode of the Effie Awards. Very, very happy to have you here. My name is Sean Carter, humorist at law, and we have four new cases we're going to talk to you about. This was a particularly bad week for legal ethics, which makes it a great week for us. Lots of fascinating cases to talk about, a couple of new categories, and our first new category is most impaired in a legal setting. Now, believe it or not, we also have a separate category for most impaired in a non-legal setting. And this case sort of straddles the line between the two, but the Academy has chosen to put it in the legal setting category just as a good reminder for lawyers that just because you're not in court or in a deposition or even if it's after hours, it doesn't mean you stop being a lawyer. And in any situation in which there are other lawyers, it's a professional setting and time is in, so to speak. And this is a great example of this. So our first nominee here is the movie Roadhouse. And that movie was chosen because it has a great bar fight scene in it. Sorry, we're closed. Well, then what are all these people doing here? Drinking and having a good time. Well, that's why we're here. You're too stupid to have a good time. And we have a similar situation happen here. Here we have a New York lawyer and part-time administrative law judge. He gets invited to a firm warming, which I guess is sort of like a housewarming for law firms. You open up a new firm, you invite everybody over. Now to make sure that they all come, you make it open bar. And so certainly everybody shows up to the open bar, including this particular lawyer. Now, according to the report here, a respondent availed himself of the bar. And by availed himself, let's be clear, that is disciplinary report talk for he got toe up from the flow up. At about 11 o'clock that night, he's standing outside the building and talking to another lawyer, a legal aid attorney. And I don't know what is said between the two lawyers, but it doesn't sound too friendly. Here is how it's written in a disciplinary report. And by the way, when I read this to you, you will know why disciplinary report writers never win an Oscar, they never win an Emmy, or a Pulitzer. It's never clear what exactly they're talking about here. Here is what it says exactly. At one point, the respondent, the lawyer we're talking about here, takes a step towards the other lawyer, and the other lawyer extends his hand toward the respondent and touch respondent on the chest. I think that means, let me translate here, that the other lawyer pushed him away, said, back up off me. The respondent then threw a single punch at the other lawyer's head. I don't know if he hit him or not, but we do know that the other lawyer fell on the ground and the respondent fell on top of him. Then respondent immediately stood up and left. I guess he was like, oh, my business is done here. I've done a good job. I don't will know once again whether the, he hit the lawyer and knocked him out, fell on top of him, slopped clumsily, and then got up and be like, oops, I need to get out of here, or whether he missed the lawyer, but in his lunge he knocked into him. I don't know. I do know that all of it would normally qualify as assault. However, it's New York. You know, he's probably talking trash. New York has an exemption for that. And so he's charged criminally with harassment. By the way, it seems a lot more like harassment uh, to me. It sounds more like uh, assault, but hey, who am I to judge? He's a judge, actually, which, wow, he was a judge. 
when the judgeship powers that be find out about this, they say, uh, brother, you got to go do something else. Go be a lawyer again. And then the bar looks at it and says, well, let, let, let's talk about this. In the end, he loses his judgeship, but he keeps his law license. He only is publicly censured for taking a swing at someone, maybe even hitting them, knocking them out, and then walking away. Which I think, once again, in New York is probably the way it works within the bar there. In your jurisdiction, it's not going to work so well. Probably isn't going to work well if you're not a lawyer either on your job. If you punch a colleague out, you're probably going to lose that job. And it's a good reminder for all of us, when you're at a work function, you're still on the clock. Now, let's be clear. If you're at, if you're at Chili's, right, on Friday night, don't punch anybody in the head. But if it comes to that, and it might, it's Chili's, all right? It's about 50-50 chance you're going to have to punch somebody. Understand it's going to be a lot different if it's a work colleague. And we have this all the time where lawyers just simply forget the fact that they're at work because, hey, it doesn't look like work. We've got drinks. It's 11 o'clock. If it's a professional setting, you're going to be held to professional standards on any job. And we have this happen all the time to lawyers. Last year, we had a case in the Ethi Awards of a lawyer who had the other type of problem. As you know, the two types of drunks, right? They're those who want to punch you in the mouth and those who want to lick you in the face. And this lawyer was the latter class. And he was extremely lick you in the face. He was Pepe Le Pew. Let's put it that way. No, no better way to put it. Hello, young lover, whoever you are. I am Pepe Le Pew. Everyone should have a hobby, don't you think? Man is making love. You are a girl, I am a boy. We have all that in common, darling. May I call you darling? You may call me streetcar because of my desire for... get a kick out of her and he's doing his peppy thing around the bench and bar conference this is the annual conference lawyers go to as part of the local bar association you get drunk because what else would you do and he does that and now he is grabbing everybody and as a result some of the other lawyers say hey this is not appropriate i don't know if you've heard about me too seen the access hollywood tape uh, but we're way past that we're about 50 years past that Go to bed. A couple of guys escort him to his room, and he sleeps it off. He wakes up in the morning thinking, hey, it's 1955. I'll go down to breakfast, and nobody will be mad at me. Hey, I was just grabbing people. It was like the, the 50s, right? No, it's not the 50s anymore. And when he gets down there, nobody wants to have anything to do with him. In fact, the local bar has thrown him out of the bar association. Now, he's in a weird ethical area, because had he been acting this way towards a client... We have rules for that. Had it been toward opposing counsel, we have rules for that. Had he been acting this way at a holiday party, he would have had issues with regard to sexual harassment. And we have 8.4G, a rule for that. We don't have a rule for just harassing random lawyers. Now, his acts technically were criminal acts, but he hasn't been charged by anyone. Interesting side note. You don't have to be charged in a court of law for the bar to discipline you for committing a criminal act. But an act of this case, 
of sexual assault is something that is really an evidentiary issue. You've got to bring the other people there to argue the case. No disciplinary court wants to be arguing that particular. They want a court of law to deal with that, and then they impose the sanction afterwards. And so as a result, this lawyer really is in an ethical gray area. He only ends up getting censured and reprimanded like, look, you know what, don't do that again. He's thrown out of the local bar association, so now he has to go get drunk with chilies like everybody else. Okay, that said, our next nominee here is in the category of the Pitbull Award. And this category every year is for lawyers who seem to not have any sense of proportion. Any sense, basically. And like a pit bull, they chop down and they will not let it go. Even though there's a good time in which you really do need to, as they taught us in Frozen, let it go, let it go. Right? Don't hold it anymore. And somehow, we have lawyers who never remember this. Now, the particular nominee here is the movie Three the Hard Way. And we're using Three the Hard Way because this is a lawyer who managed to get disbarred in three different jurisdictions for the same conduct in West Virginia, New York, and D.C. So he's got to move out west, all right, to really act a fool in the future. And it happened in a common scenario. Here's a lawyer who broke the cardinal rule. A lawyer who represents himself has a fool for a client. Now, I practiced law for 10 years, and quite frankly, that seemed to be the case in all situations, but certainly in this context, and particularly lawyers who represent themselves in divorce. Now, you can understand the temptation here. If you gotta get a divorce, it's gonna cost money. And you're a lawyer, you think, hey, I can at least save on half of this, my spouse is gonna get a lawyer, but no need to have two legal bills to pay, particularly if the lawyer's the primary breadwinner, and so the lawyer says, okay, I will deal with this and I can be reasonable. And no, you can't. Here's why I know you can't be reasonable. Because if you could be reasonable, you'd still be able to stay married. You've got to be at a point where you've lost a lot of rationality to be willing to give up half of your stuff. So obviously, rationality and reasonableness has gone out of this particular relationship. And I mean in several contexts. For one, the trial proceeding takes 13 days. That's a long time if it doesn't involve OJ. Took him a long time to do this many things badly. One, he testifies falsely at the custody proceeding. Now, to tell the truth, everybody falsely testifies at the custody proceeding. Otherwise, you don't have a dispute. The reason that you even have one is because both sides are saying, this parent is horrible and will kill the child. Otherwise, you kind of work to some agreement with shared custody. That's to be understood. But as a lawyer, you don't have that right that everyone else has to lie in court, shade things in your direction, because you're acting as officer of the court. We have Rule 3.3 that says you have to be totally and unscrupulously honest with the court. Another reason why you don't represent yourself. Also, this lawyer took it another step and started altering text messages from his wife. You can't introduce altered and falsified testimony in court. Who would have thunk it? Every lawyer would have thunk it. He starts flouting the judicial directives. The judge says, don't talk about this, have a gag order, don't do this. He does everything the judge says not to do. Jay walks in front of the courthouse. And finally, he goes after his father-in-law. Says the father-in-law is a sexual predator. His child can't be trusted to be in the father-in-law's care. And so as a result, he needs to have all custody and keep child away from that crazy molesting side of the family. Now, a couple things. One, you shouldn't do your father-in-law like that. If you're anything like me, you still owe your father-in-law money. How do you think you got your first house? Father-in-law. But even more, making these scurrilous accusations, probably the worst accusation you can make against anyone, is never proper. 
but certainly not for an officer of the court. And as a result of all of these things, this lawyer gets disbarred, like I said, in three jurisdictions. Couple things to be noted here. One, this is where the concept of reciprocal discipline comes into play. He didn't do this in all three states. He didn't run around from state to state acting a fool. All right, this all started in West Virginia. But under the concept of reciprocal discipline, if you are disbarred in one state, then that's ground to disbar you in another state. And generally, what each state does is they take the previous states, whatever they decided, and decide they're going to give you the same punishment. The presumption is you should get the same thing. So you can see how that starts a domino effect. And even if you don't want to practice in West Virginia anymore, and, and who would, you still have to worry about being disbarred everywhere else and not be admitted to practice in other places because you've been disbarred somewhere else. Of course, the original sin was representing himself in his own divorce. And it's not just a problem for lawyers who do this. Being too close to a situation to be effective in your professional capacity. That applies almost any situation in which you are very invested, particularly when you're emotionally invested. And there are times when you have to step back and quote unquote recuse yourself. And we normally think of that as just something that is applicable to judges and lawyers. It's applicable to all of us. There are situations in which even on your job, you're simply too close to the situation to be able to deal with it adequately. You need to get someone else involved. Our next nominee here is in another brand new category. And that category is the Eager Beaver Award. And we give that every year to lawyers who break rules in their eagerness to be admitted into the practice of law. Sometimes it's right out of law school. Most often though, it is for lawyers who've already been admitted but they want to practice in another jurisdiction, sometimes permanently, but often on a pro hoc vice basis. And pro hoc vice is a very silly Latin term that basically means just this one time, please, on this occasion only. And you ever notice how the same seven lawyers seem to be represented in every case in every different state? It's because of this process. And one of these seven lawyers was President Trump's attorney, Lynn Wood. And Lynn Wood was going from state to state, making these claims about the fraudulent election. And in every state he had to get pro hoc vice admittance. And he started running into troubles because of the statements he was making on Twitter. Now the nominee here, the movie we're gonna use, is Legally Blonde. Do we nuke him? Who's asking? I'm Elle Woods, Miss Bonifante's attorney. And I'm here to discuss the legal situation at hand. Come again? Do you understand what subject matter jurisdiction is? No. I didn't think so. Well, due to habeas corpus, you and Miss Bonifante had a common law marriage, which heretofore entitles her to what is legally referred to as equitable division of the assets. Come again? Due to the fact that you've retained this residence, uh, Miss Bonifante is entitled to full canine property ownership and will be enforcing said ownership right now. Hmm? Tell him, Paulette. I'm taking the dog, dumbass. because that attorney's name was also sort of L. Woods. She was L. Woods, E-L-L. -L. I know it's a little different, but, but close enough. I also use the title Legally Blonde here 
because the attorney Linwood seems to have about the same level of legal acumen and skill as 1L Elwood's in the movie. In fact, she seemed to have better skills because she won her case and Linwood lost 60 in a row for Trump. Normally, I don't ever name the name of an attorney. I don't want to embarrass anyone. Don't want to have a defamation lawsuit. But this lawyer, who, by the way, is a defamation lawyer, so I should probably be careful, but I'm not because I'm going to tell you now, Lynn, uh, you suing me, you you broke, brother. You you really need to figure out something else to do. Maybe you get a part-time job, a drive Uber, which you might have to do, brother, uh, because of the stuff you've been tweeting. And here's a great example of how you don't want to write checks that your law license might have to cash. Also, uh, he doesn't have that issue with Twitter anymore because they threw him off. He got suspended when Trump did and for pretty much the same reason. But it's having more than just effect of not being able to send out ridiculous tweets at three in the morning, which I admit is, is fun. But he's also having a problem with getting admitted pro hoc vice because there's a process here and you go to court and there's a hearing and they want to know, are you, are you crazy? Are you on the lamb? Are you planning on doing this every week? Because remember, it's supposed to be for this occasion only. And recently, in a Delaware case, the Delaware judge says, no, you're not coming up in here. Right? You've been saying crazy stuff. Well, the same challenge was issued this week in a New York case. Lynn Wood is a defamation lawyer by trade. He spent 20 years as a medical malpractice lawyer, and then he got involved with the Richard Jewell case the Atlanta Olympic bomber or suspected bomber. He represented him successfully in a defamation case and for some reason decided, hey, I, I like this defamation thing better and started doing a number of those high profile cases. In his latest profile case, Lynn Wood is going after Joy Reid, the MSNBC commentator. Joy Reid sent out a tweet about a woman named Rosalind La Liberté. Now, I'm sure I'm butchering a name and really don't care viral picture of her screaming in the face of some young boy and it was widely reported that she had said you're going to be the first deported you dirty mexican turns out that she did not say the dirty mexican part i'm sure she meant it thought it but she didn't say it and before you thinking about suing me lynn i ain't scared all right you are owing 60 in the last two months come get some anywho Joy Reid's attorneys are arguing that, yeah, maybe this case can be brought, but not by Lynn Wood. We can't give him pro hoc vice admission in New York because this fool's crazy. And they're pointing to a couple of his tweets in recent months, particularly right around the time of the insurrection. Two of them in particular. One in which he said Pence should face a firing squad. Why? For not doing what he didn't have the power to do in the first place, which was decertify the election. In his defense, Linwood says basically two things. One, I said what I said. And two, what I said was political hyperbole. I didn't say I was going to execute him, didn't suggest anyone do so particularly. I just simply was stating my opinion that he's guilty of treason. That's possibly justifiable. Shouldn't say that. It's wrong as, as heck, but it's possibly permissible. But the bigger problem he has is the statements he made regarding Chief Justice John Roberts. As you remember, the Supreme Court entertained Trump's challenge to the election for about 25 minutes and said, uh, nah, bruh. And afterwards, of course, Wood goes to Twitter and starts to make amazing allegations about the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. All in one night, he, one, accuses Roberts of having Scalia killed, or at least knowing about his death beforehand, 
He writes, you are recorded discussing Scalia's successor before the date of his death. How did you know Scalia was going to die? And then, of course, he goes to the QAnon fallback, that Roberts is a pedophile. He asks specifically, are you a member of any club or cabal requiring minor children as an initiation fee? He then goes on to make up some claim that Roberts was able to adopt his kids by getting them from Jeffrey Epstein, and we know what Jeffrey Epstein was all about. Let me say a couple things about this. To my brethren on the right, you've got to figure out a better conspiracy theory than pedophilia. Pedophilia is horrible, but even on the left, we agree with you. There is nobody who is pro-pedophilia on the left. So when you accuse every democratic politician that you don't like of pedophilia, it makes some of us think that maybe you projecting a little bit. In the immortal words of O.J. Simpson, I'm just saying. But aside from that, Woods has a more specific problem. Rule 8.2 of the Ethics Code prevents a lawyer from making a rash, reckless claim about a judge's integrity, qualifications, competence, etc. And here is the problem. What Lynn Wood is asking New York to do is to let him come into their court system on a privileged basis, despite the fact that he has been violating the rules of ethics everywhere else. And that's going to be his challenge. Delaware has already declined to give him pro hoc vice admittance. I can see this happening at a lot of places. Lynn Wood is currently licensed in Georgia. He might only get Georgia defamation cases from now on because it's very difficult to argue, please let me in, I'm going to act right here when you haven't been acting right anywhere else. And it's a good reminder for the rest of us that what happens on Twitter doesn't just stay on Twitter. It goes everywhere. I don't know why people do Twitter. I don't do Twitter because as you can tell, I'm way too verbose for a medium that tricks you to 280 characters. I can't even get my name out in that amount of time. But even for the rest of you, have you ever noticed that Twitter really only ruins careers? I don't remember anybody becoming big and famous from Twitter. They might have already been big and famous, but Twitter doesn't usually make your career. It usually breaks it. I'm encouraging you to get off it completely. But if you are going to stay there at the very least, try to make sure that you don't tweet things that are going to ruin your career. That's what I use Facebook for, to ruin my career. So certainly go there and join me there. But I'm serious, going to encourage you to remember that it isn't just a matter of, oh, this is my page and I can say what I want, free speech. No, there's a cost to speech. And yeah, Twitter may or may not allow you to continue to do it. We've seen people thrown off recently. It's happening increasingly. But even if they allow you to stay on and ruin your life, you might not want to do so by tweeting out irresponsible things. That said, I encourage all of you to go to Twitter right now and tweet out that the Ethi Awards podcast is the greatest podcast ever, that only pedophiles refuse to listen to it. Do that. All right, make me rich, but otherwise be reasonable. And the final category, a brand new category, is worst legal strategy. And the nominee here is the movie Trolls. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. Ooh, I can't take my eyes off it. Moving so phenomenally. Come on, like the way we rock it. So don't stop. And here we have a case of a copyright troll. We had a Minnesota lawyer, and he had a specialty in copyright trolling. By the way, copyright trolling is a process of sending letters to everyone who has illegally downloaded something on the internet and saying, hey, with statutory penalties of trillions of dollars, but you know what? You can make this go away. Send us $500. 
and matter of fact, oftentimes the people haven't even downloaded the material. You get a list from someone and you just send it out to everybody figuring somebody has been downloading this material illegally. And that's likely going to be true. This particular troll was a porn troll. And so he would go up to people and say, hey, look, you've been downloading our client's porn. And as a result of that, we're going to sue you. It's going to be very embarrassing for your family. Everybody's going to know you watch porn. Or you can make this go away. Give us about $4,000. We'll make it all go away. And a lot of people handed over the $4,000. And at first, I couldn't understand why. Why would anyone give in to such an obvious extortion scheme? After all, there's a word for people who download porn on the internet. They're called men. Everybody knows that. Nobody's going to be surprised to find out that a man was downloading porn. However, here's the thing that's interesting and where I get it. Is, yeah, sure, all the men are downloading porn, but none of us want anyone to know exactly what titles we're downloading. So that is really how the threat was working. Now, believe it or not, as bad as that sounds, that extortion scheme is actually legal because you're not supposed to be illegally downloading the porn. However, this lawyer decided to get a little tricky with it and decided, hey, I'm going to cut out the middleman. I have these clients and I've been going after people on their behalf and then getting just a cut of the money. What if I produce my own porn or just bought it and uploaded it myself? And so this lawyer, one, begins producing X-rated titles. Now, let's be clear. I'm going to guess that he was not in the pictures themselves. Hopefully there is no market for middle-aged lawyer porn. And if there is, that's something you probably should pay the 4000 to hide because nobody needs to know that about you. I'm assuming that he either had it made or he was buying titles from lesser-known studios. And then he was illegally uploading them to the free download sites. So there was a site called Pirate Bay. He would upload the movies to Pirate Bay and then sue Pirate Bay and say, hey, tell us everybody who's been downloading the stuff that we uploaded. Now, when he went to court, he couldn't argue that it was his stuff. So he would then make up all these shell corporations and say, okay, well, we're not the client here. We have this client here and that client. And eventually it all starts to unravel. Now the lawyer's in trouble. Remember, extortion was legal, but not lying about your extortion. And so now he's in trouble for lying to the court and mail fraud. Amazingly, he gets 14 years in prison. Now, let's be clear. There are no allegations that any of this pornography involved underage actors. You get a hundred years for that, and rightfully so. This is all would have been normal legal porn. A little embarrassing if you were getting the middle-aged lawyer porn, but nothing that was you know, too bad in that respect. The problem is the lawyer has been dishonest in his extortion, and as a result, he got 14 years in prison. Just this week, there was an appeal filed, and he lost the appeal. He's going to have to serve out the time and, by the way, pay a million and a half back to the people that he extorted. And the lesson to be learned here is the same lesson that we were all taught, like in what, five years old? The goose that laid the golden egg. He had a good extortion scheme going. Now, I'm not going to condone it, say it's a wonderful way to make a living, trying to you know, threaten to expose people for their private activities. That's a little sleazy particularly some of the titles that I might have you find with me. So I, I get it. But moreover, the real issue here is we have a lawyer who's engaged in something that is on the cusp of being unethical. And then he takes it to the realm of illegal by getting greedy. He didn't want to get a third of the money anymore. He wanted to get all of it. And to do so, he had to tell a bunch of lies. We see this happen in so many different businesses. People have profitable businesses and they just can't help but to try to stretch it to get a little bit more. 
the three million dollars they had brought in in a couple of years of doing this before wasn't enough. They need to really you know take it over the top and get nine million because who can who can possibly live off three million dollars? I don't know about you, but you know things are expensive. Kids need new shoes. You know that's gonna you're gonna need to steal nine ten million dollars over a couple of years to really make it. I think in this economy, in the Ethi Awards, we're gonna go through it. We're gonna see it in some of our other categories time and again of people who have good lives and things are going well for them, but they get greedy. And unlike the wise and prophetic words of Gordon Gecko from the movie Wall Street, greed is not always good. It does not always work. It does not always clarify, cut through, and capture the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Sometimes greed in all of its forms uh, leads you to get an Ethi Award. And remember, there are no winners of Ethi Awards, only recipients. And this week we talked about four nominees. Next week we'll be back to talk about four more. Now I can tell you that with absolute confidence because all I know in an uncertain world is that there'll be four more lawyers next week who have done things that embarrass all of us. So come on back and we'll talk about it then. And finally, if you're a lawyer and you need your CLE, don't hesitate to get it from Mesa CLE. This is your comedic legal education, but it still counts as CLE. Mesa, M-E-S-A, C-L-E dot com. If you'd like to become a patron of the podcast, please feel free to go to Patreon.com. Either look us up at Mesa C-L-E or the Ethi Awards. And we thank you so much. See you next time.